Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Every week, I talk to treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now, and they see where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. This week's show, delighted to be joined by a good friend of mine, Tony Carfang, the managing director of the Carfang Group. Now, Tony's got a distinguished background in consulting, writing, speaking, and for many years actually led and founded the Treasury Strategies Consultancy. Now, as I say on the podcast a number of weeks, I'm not going to get into too much of that detail. I'll let Tony do the talking, as it were. And actually just delighted. Tony's in one of my favorite places in the world, in Naples in Florida. We're doing it on video, but we'll just give you guys the benefit of the audio because I've got a face for radio. I can't speak for Tony. Tony, take us back to the beginning, as we just talked about before the show. You originally started, well, studied at, or say about you did your degree, then you went to Northwestern for a period, and then actually went into banking. So give us a kickoff from the start, and we'll talk about how you did many years within consulting and how that transitioned sort of thing. So over to you. Okay, well, thanks, Mike. Uh, delighted to be here. You know, in the beginning, I did my bachelor's degree in finance at Duquesne University. I had always been interested in business and the stock market and you know, corporate finance at the time. And after my bachelor's degree, I went out and, re- and earned my MBA at Northwestern University, uh, where I actually did a significant amount of research in options pricing theory, and which is fascinating because it brings you into the securities markets, into finance and into an emerging area of finance. At, 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 at that time, I, I actually did my master's thesis before the Chicago Options Exchange first started trading options. So, so we, we were real pioneers there. That, that got me even more jazzed mm-hmm. about finance. So from Northwestern, I, I started out as an analyst at the First National Bank of Chicago. I worked in systems, and I was working on programs to do things like figuring out how much float to charge to a customer's account or how much hold time delay to put on the clearing of a wire transfer or whatever. And we were doing a lot of quantitative analysis of that to basically figure out things like float and collected balances and things of that nature. And that took me directly into the bank's cash management department. And this was the very early days of cash management. This is where you know, a treasurer would make a wire transfer and hope that within a few days, it got to where it was going. L- literally, this, this was before balance reporting. As a, as a matter of fact, I remember participating in debates about whether or not as a bank, we should tell our clients what their balances are. Because if they knew, they might take them somewhere else. And we li- literally debated for a couple of years about whether or not to report balances to our customers in between their monthly statements. Because it, it wasn't reconciled accurately or you were concerned about it or what was the reason? Well, if, you know, there was a lot of float, a lot of time right. delay. And, and so if, a customer, you know, if, if we showed a customer's balance of X and they had a balance of Y and there was a huge gap, you know, you're spending all day doing customer service to explain that, well, the wire transfer from XYZ company didn't come in yet and, and your check over there cleared. So now, and obviously things have progressed. Yeah, right lightning now. speed. Uh, <laughs> orders of magnitude beyond that. We put together a consulting group at First Chicago, and it was one of the first of its kind where we're helping our corporate customers figure out how to use our operating services, things like lockboxes, things like you know, advanced uh, check clearing or controlled disbursement services, things like 
uh, automated account reconciliation services. And we, we were helping our clients basically put in place their first treasury management system. And we were doing it based on First Chicago's products and services. Now, my, my clientele was the large corporate and multinational marketplace, and it became very clear that our clients had issues at all of their banks, not just First right. Chicago. And there's, there's no way that a global multinational was going to put 100% of their business at First Chicago. So we saw a big gap in the marketplace. And in January of 1982, formed Treasury Strategies. We left First Chicago. Uh, we, we knew that if we, well, we, we knew based on the work that we were doing at First Chicago that, you know, clients, you know, General Motors, Diageo, whomever, had issues at a number of banks, and we could, we, we, we could help them at all of their banks and not just First Chicago. When you say we, you know, you, you, you had this consulting team or group, how many of you were there? Was it you and a couple of other people, or was it a team, or, you know, how many of you first started up? Well, we actually had about 30 people in our consulting group at First Chicago, which, you know, back in the 1970s, early 80s, that, that, that's a huge group. Myself and Kathy Gregg left to form Treasury Strategies. It was just the two of us. And I, I, I remember this clearly. You're, you're taking a big risk. You're, in fact, to this day, my father still believes I was fired from First Chicago <laughs> because nobody leaves a job as good as the job I had. I was, I was 29 years old. I was a vice president. Life was good. Way beyond it, uh, anything I expected to be by the time I was 30. And, you, you know, you just don't leave a job like that. So we, we had a list of 14 companies that we, 14 large multinationals that we knew from our work at First Chicago had issues that they needed help with at other banks. So we went out on, on our very first day, we got on a plane, we went to New York City and we went to the pay phones, we used to put dimes in at the time to make calls. We started calling 14 treasurers at these 14 companies. And we came back with our first two clients, Merrill Lynch and Combustion Engineering, on our very first business trip. When you say you came back to, was it just an office, the two of you, and you'd started out in Chicago and all was been based in Chicago? Or? Yeah, so, so we were based in Chicago. We specifically wanted to have an office rather than uh, working out of our homes. We thought the discipline of getting on the train in the morning, going down to the office, you know, at that time putting on a necktie, which, which I haven't put on in months, <laughs> but uh, except for five I was going to say, making Kathy wear a necktie, that's, that's a bit rude. <laughs> well, well, back then, women wore yeah, bow ties. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. chokers. That was the norm. Yeah. That, 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 that was, was banker yeah. attire there. Absolutely. And you know, we started out, we, we, we shared a desk on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays of even-numbered weeks. She got to sit in the desk chair, and I sat on, on the side chair. And on alternate days, I had the desk, and she had the side chair. Fortunately, that didn't last yeah. very long. Business yeah. grew. You were able to buy uh, a second desk. And we got, we got, <laughs> yes, and, and, and a more comfortable chair and a second telephone. And it's kind of you know, the rest is history. Well, you say it's history. So you started off the two of you. When did it start to, you know, you both chosen to be in Treasury Consulting. Why was that a passion right. for both of you? Why not? As you say, what a, listen to your dad's advice. Stay where you were. Solid job. Oh, I know. Let's take a risk. Let's just just go it alone and 
and just choose the the life of an entrepreneur and you know in certainly okay you had some good clients were lucky to get them but why did you feel that was your drive and passion personally i'm i'm, I'm a risk taker and and i have ambition and i have a view of myself that says you know i can do it or i can figure out how to do it you know it's a combination of grit and self-confidence and and, and and whatever and i had just been promoted to vice president at first chicago i was 29 years old and i was you know so one of the youngest vice presidents at the time mike they're paying me a yeah, lot of money. I know. This, none of this is saying to me, this, none of this is saying to me, I know, let's go off. I'm, I'm being paid really well. Yeah. Well, I said to myself, I am going to move into a lifestyle that will not allow me to ever leave and take risks. I said, if I don't leave now, I'm going to be so darn comfortable in this job that I will never leave. You know, because, you know, I bought a bigger car, I'd have joined the country club, I'd have done that, and I'd have an expense structure that would make it impossible to leave, say, five years later. And you, But you had a passion, you know, when you say, right, let's do a consulting career, do you think, actually, I want to grow a big consulting firm? Or what was your driver behind it? Was it to help your clients and then see where it went from there? Or what were your, what was, what did the business plan look like for you and Kathy, as it were? So, you know, back at First Chicago, our, our clients really respected the work that we were doing. And you know, this is the First National Bank of Chicago, and our competitors were things like Chase Manhattan Bank, First National City Bank of New York, which is now Citibank, J.P. Morgan, uh, Chemical Bank, the Bank of America. And we were holding our own. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, we, we, were, do, we were doing more, more, more than holding our own. Uh, we were getting, you know, we were doing a lot of public speaking and writing and getting great feedback on that. And it just looked like the success factors were falling into place. And we said, you know, we can do this and let's, let, let, let's see how far we can take it. We saw a business, the treasury business at that time, the banking business was very opaque. Right. No, no one knew what the fees were because, you know, you could take lifting fees or you, or, or you could delay a transaction and get interest income on that. So you had all of that stuff going on. And at the same time, you, you had the, the secular rise in interest rates where, you know, I mean, the, 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 the prime rate in the United States got into the mid-teens. I remember being in the office of the treasurer of Merrill Lynch on the day that the Fed funds rate was higher than the New York State usury ceiling, which meant that institutional investors could arbitrage Merrill until the Fed said, enough. You can't do it. It's fascinating. And so the value, you know, there's a strong value proposition there. You know, we can help a corporate treasurer accelerate cash flow by three days on $100 million in a 15% interest rate market. We can make a darn good living that way. And then as you grew the firm or, you know, as I say, going back to that business plan, did you, you wanted to take it as, as far as you could take it. What were the steps you were going to take? Because, you know, there might be people listening and, as I said to you before the show, that you know, a number of our listeners are treasure analysts, managers, some of them thinking about right. maybe I'd do some stuff in consulting. A lot of them then go consulting and then jump back into a, a corporate treasury career. But it obviously the bug bit with you and you were 34 years in there. But you know, talk me through how you then grew it. What was it the fascination for you? Okay, so I I think one of the most important things we did from day one was we, we, we didn't want to waste time and energy questioning our decision to start treasury strategies. 
And so we, we made a pact with each other that said that on such and such a date, nine months into the future, if our revenues aren't X and if our margin isn't Y, we're simply going to stop right. on that day and shut it up. And if they were, we were going to go forward. But in the meantime, we weren't going to revisit that decision at all. Because you can, you know, you can spend nine months second guessing and, and whatever and burning a lot of energy. Or you can get to the nine-month mark and not be at that mm. goal and, and say, oh, but the next client is right around the corner, you know. And then you know, for the next 30 years, the next client mm. is right mm. around the corner. and Just chasing your tail. <laughs> that's, that's not no. a pretty picture. So we set that goal. We easily blew by that. So at that point, we started hiring people and expanding right. the firm. Our original purpose in starting treasury strategies was to serve corporate treasurers. And so, so we were involved directly. You know, we were at the table as corporate treasurers are dealing with, with their banks. One thing that happened that was not part of our business plan was bankers started contacting us saying, you seem to understand what our clients need. Can you consult to us right. to help us understand? As it turned out, that ultimately became 60% of our practice. And was that educating the banks about what corporate treasurers needed or was that more giving them product advice, saying, actually, your product needs to look like this, is this is what the, the clients are wanting to buy? What was the ethos there? Well, you, you know, it gets back to helping the bank understand the voice of the customer. Right. You know, banks get information about the marketplace through filters. You know, a, a calling officer is calling on a corporate treasurer, gets information and brings it back. That information, by definition, then is secondhand by the time it starts to get processed. And you combine that with other secondhand information. And, and, and the senior executives sometimes don't, weren't getting a clear picture of what was going on in the client's office. Uh, we, we would see corporate treasurers moving a piece of business from bank A to bank B, for example. Bank A loses the business. The treasurer gives the account officer an explanation on why Bank A lost the business. And the account officer takes it back and Bank A builds that into the planning. Well, what the corporate treasurer told account officer at Bank A was like 90% of why they lost the business, but not 100%. And what the officer at Bank A told his or her manager at Bank A was about 90% of what they heard and the, the information at the most senior levels of the bank was either incomplete or jaded in some way. And we were able to help the senior executives uh, bridge that gap. And working in consulting, obviously, naturally, very competitive field. You know, coming up through this and, you know, for those yeah. guys listening, you did it for 34 years. So you're all the way through and you continue, you know, talking and stuff and, and, you know, speaking of various things and consulting, but we'll come back to that. But you're in a competitive landscape. You're looking at you and, you know, say the big four consultancies and at the time it was actually the big six and, and then smaller and smaller, but how, yeah. why would they bother? Why, why choose treasury strategies this niche little consultancy, niche recruiter like us. Hey. Well, it's a very specific decision on our part. We got the positioning right from right. day one. We were subject matter expertise. We knew the subject matter inside out. 
Yes, PwC can run circles around us on subject matter, but that's embodied in hundreds of different people around the world. And what is the probability of you, Mr. Treasurer, getting the right person assigned to your project? Zero. That was it. That was and, it. You, well, and you just sold on that and things as you grew the firm, you were just saying, we're the treasury people to go to. Exactly. Actually, our, our, our tagline was get it right the first time. And where did you focus? Where was the main focus of the business? You know, predominantly in and around Chicago, New York, or did he cover the US? Or because then you, at a later stage, and we'll come to this, you were then bought by Novantis, or you, we talked about that. But as you grew the firm, you know, where did you grow it? Well, it's, it's interesting because, you, you, you know, you start out and, and you're, you're a small firm, so everybody thinks you're doing business with small companies, you know, yeah. down the street. Uh, we were in business for seven years before we did our first project within the city of Chicago. Oh, wow. So where was all the business coming from then? Well, uh, New York, Boston, Philadelphia. You just got on a plane and did it. Uh, it was the, 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 yeah, the big, you know, multinationals or uh, the mutual funds and the financial institutions there. Um, and then London. And you just, as long as it was a, it was a treasury project, you go there from Chicago to wherever it was. Right. It was, well, you know, they talk about a prophet never gets respect in his homeland. Well, uh, people in Chicago who knew us from first Chicago said, oh, I, I, I remember you. You were the guy that came along with the vice president when he was making the call and, and didn't see us in the same context of the same light as, as somebody who didn't know us. We did much more business with people who did not know us from our days at First Chicago, except by reputation. So they, were, you, they were fresh uh, to you and they looked at your niche and they loved it. Yeah. Yes. And you grew. And so before, how did you see it changing over time? You know, what was the evolution of the firm? And you started, it was two of you. By the time, and when did Novantis buy you guys? Was that in 2016 okay, so 2016 so in that period from you know when it was just you and you know kathy to 2016 how did you see the firm evolve and how did you see perhaps the treasury market evolve as well obviously a lot of changes over that period let's start with the second part of that first the treasury market uh, when we started and this this predates you mike uh just a corporate treasurer was in a career terminal position. People didn't get promoted into anything else. You were appointed treasurer kind of as a reward for being a loyal employee mm. for 30 years. And your job, and so you had all the institutional history of the firm. Therefore, you can go out and have dinners with your bankers and do all the relationship kinds of things. And that's your reward until the day you retire. The treasurer wasn't somebody who can't necessarily came up through finance. No one else in that treasurer's department could see any light at the end of the tunnel for promotion until the treasurer retired. And so there's a way of doing business there. And it was fine at that point because the business was so opaque anyway. You wouldn't be like analyzing bank service charges. You'd never take on a project like that because the bank service charges were never disclosed. You wouldn't be managing daily liquidity and doing your one, three, and five-day cash forecast because you wouldn't know for five days what your balances were five right. days ago. For Treasury Strategies coming in with some subject matter and some analytics, I mean, it was like a knife through soft butter. We were bringing an awful lot of subject 
matter and analytics into a situation uh, you know, that was really fertile. So as banking services evolved and transparency around those services happened, you know, the need for the analytics increased. So there was a lot more that we could apply our analytics on and we could help a corporate treasurer in, in, in many more ways, you know, through cash forecasting or cash transfer timing or lockbox location analysis. Um, and so we were able to add staff to do those kinds of things. But then we got to a point where the treasury really transformed and became a profession and became deeply analytical. The treasurer was no longer a terminal position. The treasurer was somebody who wanted to be CFO or wanted to be CEO at some time. So, it, you know, it, it, it was a very different kind of thing. So if, if, if you can imagine consulting to a treasurer who is coasting into retirement and then the change over, say, 15 years to a treasurer who wants to be three years and then get on to the next higher job. So you got three years to perform and, and turn their ship around. There was a lot more need for our services to help somebody, you know, brand new treasurer hit the ground running, zoom through what they wanted to do and, and then move on. And when you talk about that opacity, that opaqueness, and I, I totally understand that actually when I first started, in my career in treasury recruiting, end of the 90s and moved into well, the dot-com and everything else, boom and bust. With that opacity, as it were, and opaqueness, when did you start to see that change? When did that start? You know, Obviously, there was an evolution of technology around that. But when did you see that really come into effect, would you say? You know, I think around in the late 80s or early 90s, there seemed to be more transparency about the service yeah. charges for example, there was much more disclosure about rates and the basis for the application of those rates, much more visibility of, of, of balances. But, but, you know, I mean, even up through the financial crisis in 2008, you know, a corporate treasurer would feel that he or she was doing a good job if they knew what, you know, say 80% of companies' global balances were on a next-day basis. Well, in the last 10 years, you, know, you, you now want 99% on a same-day yeah, basis. You're just there and it's, it's moving through. And, um, and, and driving that change as well, one of the things I noticed that when I first started, Treasury was more siloed and it, and it certainly was a specialist area. And now I think it's very much more outward-focused. You know, I think certainly when I got into it, and treasury recruiting, a lot of the treasurers at the time use that specialism as a reason to get a pay rise, which was great. So they right. got paid for their specialist knowledge and brilliant and wow. But at the same time, I think it became a double-edged sword because then they became slightly isolated from the business or standalone. And then ever since I've been doing it, I've seen everyone getting, you know, it's taken 20 years for them to get back close to the business, really. Have you seen a similar thing or would you say so? About 15 years ago, we, we did an engagement for a significant global multinational whose business line took, took them ev everywhere from you know, global business to global business, all the way down to you know, re retail outlets mm -hmm. to consumers, and, and basically every payment type in between. And they put the question to us, uh, and this was actually originated in the company's marketing department, not treasury, 
And the treasurer found out about it later. They were actually about to award the contract to some marketing firm. And the, the, the treasurer, like at the 11th hour, said, you need a proposal from Treasury Strategies. We went in, dazzled the heck out of them. But the, the assignment was, how can we use payments and the way we conduct payments to build customer affinity? And you know, the web was just evolving then and, you know, electronic payments and recurring payments and, you know, giving the customer a lot, a lot more control or uh, you, if you can organize like the timing of shipments with the timing of payments and the customer can see it on their screen. Uh, and th that was a real manifestation to us that, that, that there was a lot more than just yeah. finance. The treasury can, the treasury can become uh, a bit of the star of the show rather than just waiting in the wings all the time as the, the not the it's not the dress rehearsal it's the real thing right and and i think you know around that time in general tr you know treasury went from being reactive mm. to proactive over the past 10 years is it technology that you've seen the as the biggest driver of change within treasury you know i, I sometimes talk people we spoke last week, a couple of weeks ago in the Windy City Summit, and people say, oh, treasury technology, is it going to replace people? And actually, one of the key things, the key findings we found through the podcast is treasury technology replaces process, not people, and it frees up people to do more interesting jobs and actually leverage the technology. So actually, it means you don't have to just stand there turning the handle. It does it itself, and you get onto the interesting stuff. Is that the thing that you've noticed through your consulting career, certainly in the past 50, well, 20, 15, 10 years as we come up to date, sort of thing? Let me say yes. Okay, and. go for it. So, so, yes. So, actually, going back 20 or 25 yeah. years, technolo technology really began to impact yeah. the business. And it, it impacts at an acceler accelerating rate and at a operates on more dimensions now. So technology to allow you to manipulate your balances and meet your short-term liquidity then evolves into technology that will also help you manage your risk. That transforms into technology that will also inform marketing decisions or credit decisions. And, 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 and so the, the, the technology not only lets you do the traditional things better or more efficiently, but it lets you do more things. The other big impact on addition technology is regulation, financial regulation of all types, because it, it really has changed the, the dynamic between a financial institution and the corporate customer. Worldwide, the regulatory environment has become, you know, some people would call it burdensome. I call it very intrusive. And a financial institution is no longer permitted to make a mistake. And in many jurisdictions around the world, the financial institutions have been deputized by their central governments to identify wrongdoing way beyond the, their charter. Okay. So a bank now must be very cautious about with whom it does business and the kinds of business it does. And even a well-established client can't pick up the phone anymore and just presume that the next bump in the line of credit is going to happen automatically, which for a hundred years was the case. Now, you know, what, what do you mean I have to go to committee? <laughs> <laughs> 
Did you see my balances here? Do you see my service charges? I got to go to committee. So I, I think that has put a real burden on treasurers to make sure that everything is buttoned up at every point in time. And you can't just assume that you're a phone call or a mouse click away from opening a new account in a new jurisdiction or augmenting a line of credit. Okay. So you... You ran Treasury Strategies for 34 and a half years as an independent group and everything else. And then come 2016, you then were joined or became part of Novantis. How, what, what prompted the takeover or what situation or how did what happened from there? Yeah, we were really good at what we did. And we grew and we, we had about 50-some people in the right. firm. And you know, it oscillated. Uh, back and forth a little bit. The market was growing faster than we were able to grow. Uh, Treasury strategies have been 100% self-funded for our for, for our entire existence, which I think was a good decision, but limits the speed at which we can grow. And you know, when two or three or four of our clients merge into one institution and are now four times bigger and they need a project that requires 50 consultants on the ground in 50 different cities worldwide to do something, well, we couldn't do that. What we did, we did exceptionally well, but the mandates were becoming sort of broader in scope and it was broadening faster than we could you were hitting a, hitting a not glass ceiling, but hitting a ceiling in terms of, as you say, that service and delivery. So, so then what? Novantis came along and offered a, a solution for that. Is that the right way? Actually, over, over the course of the last ten years, frankly, you know, somebody's been knocking on our door yeah. every quarter. Some specialty. Now, you know, we had both a banking practice and a yeah. corporate practice. Mentioned banking practice is about sixty percent, corporate practice forty percent, and you know one of the big six or one of the big five or big four, depending on <laughs> which week it was. What you're talking about is like interested in this practice but not that practice, or these people mm-hmm. but not those people. We'll take everybody. We'll buy the whole firm, but we're really interested. In and you know, it's kind of interesting. You know, somebody wants to pay you a lot of money for something you built, mm. and life is good. But you know, we really wanted to keep as much intact as we could. And, and with, with with Navantis, Navantis has a major banking practice, and our banking practice brought, brought, brought in the corporate side of the bank. Well, we you know, our reputation was just un- unparalleled, so that was a nice fit there. And then our corporate consulting practice, the Navantis clearly understood, provided credibility to the commercial banking practice. You know, we at Treasury Strategies, we always said we have a three hundred and sixty degree view of the treasury business, the providers, the consumers, and the technology that makes it all happen. And Novantis understood that 360-degree view. Now, now Novantis was about two and a half times our size. So it was uh, something where don't get like, swallowed up like you might if you went to an yeah, EY. Just become a number. Or, 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 or you know, Capgemini or somebody. So you know, we, we, we could maintain the things that made us what we were and then take advantage of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, additional resources uh, of Novantis, so it, it, it made a lot of sense. Made a lot of sense for everybody. And then you did what? Another two years there, and and then finished, or what? You know, how did it work? I, I remained for two and a half years, and during that time, 
we did, we did a couple of things. Well, you know, we had to make sure the, the integration went smoothly. And then we also tried to take some of the subject matter that was kind of in our heads and turn it into technology that could be replicated in mass by others. So, so things like our account analysis, software standardization, some of our cash forecasting methodologies and templates, we tried to apply some really super technology. And Navantis was, 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 was just incredible with that. To take subject matter and turn it into uh, you know, software and services. So, Tony, you exited stage left from tre- what was Treasury Strategies, now Navantis, time to move on. But you then founded the Carfang Group. Tell us about that next stage in the journey, as it were. Sure, Mike. So one one of the things that we had been doing that didn't lend itself to systematizing or applying high doses of technology to and develop service and solutions were things like the regulatory advisory work that we were doing for our clients, the strategy work, the real advisory and insights that we had from you know consulting to the heads of transaction banking at the major global banks the treasurers of major global corporations. You know, a, a lot of that is in your head. And so with the Carfang Group, we want to continue to do our advisory, our senior level strategy work, helping banks and corporations understand the future. So I incorporated the Carfang Group and took three months off to walk along the beach and think about the future of treasury and finance. And I actually authored our white paper, Megatrends in Treasury, Money, and Banking, that identified 11 key trends that we think are going to completely remake the financial services uh, marketplace. And that, that, that's the result of hundreds of engagements, several hundred conversations with some of the senior people who are shaping the, these trends, and an ability to with our 360-degree view that that I mentioned, really connect the dots in ways that other people might not see who are in the business day-to-day. And and so Treasury Strategy will will be consulting and advocating around some of those trends. And with that, is that a public white paper that people can see and things if they were interested in it? Yes, it's on our website, thecarfanggroup.com. Yep. We have a section called Insights. Yep. There you can find our article, Megatrends in Treasury, Money, and okay. Banking. I think if you just go into Google and Google Carfang and Megatrends, I hope it comes <laughs> Well, don't up. worry. What we'll do for our listeners as well, we'll put it in the show notes with the show as well so people can look at that. Yep. Um, so just going back to this, so you've, you know, over 35 years in consulting, so it was something that you, you chose or it chose you, as it were. Someone's listening today. I remember speaking to one of my clients, Chris Fulton, and he spent a period of time actually working with, I think it was EY. And he said quite early on in his career, when consulting, he said, well, where else would you? And that's one of our earlier podcasts. We'll put a, a link to that. Yeah. And one of the key things he, he loved about it was the fact that he was relatively early in his career and suddenly he'd be thrown into a meeting with the CEO, CFO of a, a global group. And they said, right, tell us the answer. And he'd be like, um, I don't know. I've just got here. Found out the answers. And he got this amazing, you know, FaceTime. And, you know, the it gave him this amazing sort of exposure. Now, but you yourself, you, you ran a firm that did consulting. But why would someone, if they're listening today and they're thinking, actually, yeah, I might do consulting. What, what did it give you? And what do you think it might give them? What's the... 
sort of what what's the thing that grips people or you would say well you know the, the thing i find most exciting about consulting is every problem is a little mm-hmm. bit different every company's circumstances every bay every bank circumstances is a little bit different so you're never doing the the exact same thing twice different. there's always a new challenge a different angle that needs to be solved so every day you're at the cutting edge of something i'm excited about getting up in the morning and thinking about well, what, what's Brexit going to do to the relationship between the euro and the yen? You know, and so, you know somebody's got to figure that out. And if it's us, do a lot of consulting. Yeah, and you get paid for it as well. You get paid to problem yeah, solve exactly. and actually have fun whilst doing it. And as we, we you know, we're approaching uh, the end of today's show, and I know that, as I say, if you want to connect with Tony, we'll put it on uh, in the show notes, his LinkedIn profile, so you know, people can connect with you and maybe engage with you as sure. well. Who knows? Absolutely. To, well, there you go. Or even just yeah, chat. exactly. Just like this. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Tony's always open and, and been very kind with his time to me over the years and things like that. So, but as you look through, someone looks through your profile on LinkedIn, which is very, you know, impressive. And you've got lots of things where you've talked to committees, you've been on TV shows and people really picking you up for your expertise. But someone actually looks at that and goes, do you know what? I'd love to have a career like Tony did. And as he grew a firm and everything else, what's the one piece of advice? And this is a sort of closing question. What's the one piece of advice you would give to the listeners today? I say you've got people at early stages, mid late, late stages of their career. Some are even treasurers and maybe still have a one or two new roles. And you think actually maybe I'll do that. What would you tell them? What's the one piece of advice you give them? Back when, when I was in school, the, you know, the, 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 they talked about the phrase, it's not what you know, yeah. but who you know. No, it's both. Yeah. It's not what you know or who you know, it's both. You have to devour knowledge and understand it. Not just take it in, but understand it. You know, every, every news item of every day, how, do, how does this impact my world? How does this impact you know, who wins? Who, who loses? You know, the, the, there's a uh, paper in the U.S. called The American Banker. And, you know, it's, it's a fairly light read. It's about a 15-page paper. It came every day. And every morning, I would read it front to back. But before I read it, I put, you know, let's, let's say J.P. Morgan was a client of mine. I would think about J.P. Morgan and all the issues that they, and my clients there at J.P. Morgan do. And I would page through The American Banker with my J.P. Morgan app. Then i turn it over. and put myself in a PNC mind frame and I paged through the entire American and I, I could tell my clients before they got into the office, what had happened that was going to impact them. And, and many times I'd shoot out an email and an hour later I'd, I'd, I'd get back from, from like the executive Tony, thanks so much for your email. Five minutes later, the CEO called and asked me how this is going to impact us. <laughs> And uh, Mike, I have over thinking in other people's shoes gives you some of the what you know at a really substantive level. And then in terms of the who you know, actually network. I mean, and you know, Treasury Strategies uh, and at Navantis, I, I spent a lot of time trying to teach people how to network and, and, and the importance of, of, of networking because you want to be one phone call or one email 
away from getting to the right answer on anything. You want your name to come up with in, in a conversation. When two strangers are meeting and talking and your name comes up, the other person, oh yeah, I know Treasury Strategies or I know Tony or, or, or whatever. That's really important. I'm, I'm amazed at the number of people that only have one or 200 LinkedIn connections, for example. Uh, LinkedIn caps you at 30,000 connections. So every couple of months, I have to go through and delete about a thousand contacts to make room for fresh, newer contacts that are coming in. I find that really important. And I'll, I'll post something on, on, on my LinkedIn status. Or if I have a question or a client has a question, I post it on my LinkedIn status. And I, yeah, I, I can get a hundred responses inside of a couple hours that, that really adds, you know, has me bringing value to my clients that wouldn't have been possible without my network. And I think that's, you know, essential, actually. And one of the things I've always noticed with, with you, you've done extremely effectively is, as you say, you know, the summary I would give to perhaps the listeners is be that first pe- person that people think of when they need that advice, when they help, yeah. and that they know that you're the trusted advisor to turn to. You're the person that they go, actually, well, Tony will know the answer or will be able to give me advice. And that, that wins you the work as much as anything. Oh, exactly. In fact, I, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I would get a call from somebody I didn't know who said that you know, we were in a meeting and our executive vice president said, call Tony or call Treasury Strategies to see if they have any thoughts on this. Yeah, to just be in that position. Wow. Amazing. As always, great words from Tony. I say we'll put in all the show notes, all the connections to Tony, his LinkedIn profile, the link to Megatrends. Also, he's a voracious uh, LinkedIn group manager. I know you've got some great groups in there, which, okay, you you know, hopefully I don't get cold for the 1,000 contacts or the 30,000 a month. Uh, You know, I'll stay in the good, good group. But as I say, it's a great way to, you know, consume a lot of the great knowledge that Tony imparts to all you guys out there. And all that remains for me to say today is, Tony, thank you for your time. Continue to enjoy Naples, you lucky man out there, one of my favorite places, as I say. And thanks very much for your time today. Well, thank you, Mike. I enjoyed participating. And to to you and all your constituents, I, I wish the very best. Many thanks. 